Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Shout out what it is. They're, they're pretty easy. They should be. So what's that one? Nike. Obviously, that's Nike. What's the next one? Mercedes. And the next one? Facebook. Shell. And the last one? The Eagles. Now, for all of these things, you can boo if you want, but I don't want to hear it from the Giants fans. You know, for all of these things, um, there's a certain quality that they maintain, right? The, the Shell gas company is not going to go out to a lake, start scooping up water, and selling it as gasoline into the tanks of people's cars. Millions of dollars in lawsuits later, they wouldn't be a company anymore. Their goal is to maintain the highest quality of gasoline that they can and deliver it to people at a price. You know, the, the Eagles, for instance, um, uh, any professional athlete, any, any professional team that hires these athletes, I, I have a hard time thinking that somebody's going to come in here and be like, all right, who wants to play for the Eagles today? Right, yeah, well, there, there's one. But there, I, I don't think anybody in this room has the qualifications or the right skill set to play for the Eagles on any given Sunday. But they, they demand the highest quality of player. Now, after watching Eli Manning play this week, some teams require a more strict, uh, a higher quality than others, just saying. But, um, but, what, but what are we requiring of them? And it, it kind of, in this, dra- in this past NFL draft, there were about, there's about 11,000 more or less scholarship football players in, in Division 1A, Division 1, 2A. So there's about 11,000 people that could be drafted into the NFL every year. Um, there's 11,000 scholarship athletes, which means there's probably about 5,000 or so people that are eligible to be drafted every year because there's certain requirements you have to meet and so forth. Now, out of those 5,000 people, there are 256 picks in the NFL draft. 256. So out of 5,000 college players, and you have to be a heck of a player to be a, a D1A athlete that receives a full scholarship. So of those 5,000 people, 256 of them get picked in the draft. And that number, that, that very last person, they have a specific name for him. Anybody know what the last pick in the draft is called? It's called Mr. Irrelevant. That's what they call the 256th best player in college football. It's called Mr. Irrelevant. Because that's how strict and, like, how high quality of a player you have to be to make it. And a lot of these players that, of the 256 they get picked, won't even be on a team next year. A lot of them will get cut before the, before the season ever starts. So this guy, Mr. Irrelevant, is better than, there's only about 4% of players in all of college football. We're not talking about people in the world. 4% of college football players are better than this guy, and he still probably won't make the team in the fall. That's that's the quality they're demanding, Mercedes. Mercedes is not going to take a cardboard box, wrap some duct tape on it, stick some wheels on it, and sell it for for $80,000 or whatever a Mercedes costs. They're going, right, they demand a high quality of car that they're going to sell to you, right? So the question I ask is when it comes to your work that you go through life doing on a daily basis at your job, would Christ put his logo on what you're doing? We look at the football teams and the car companies and, 
and Facebook and all these huge companies that you expect a certain level of quality for what they're producing. But then as Christians, I feel like sometimes we're likely to cut corners. And we're likely to maybe not take it as seriously as we should. And we put our job ahead of our work. Is that something Christ would put his logo on? You know, we said, I just said Mercedes isn't going to put their logo on a, on a cardboard box that Vinny put together. Right? That, that's not going to hold to the standard of Mercedes. Is what you're doing at your job or your work, what you're putting towards your faith, is that going to be worthy of Christ putting his logo on you? And I think there's a couple things we can look at as believers. That it's not always just going in and preaching at work. I think a big part of it is our work ethic. Okay? I mean, what, what kind of effort do you put into your job? If your boss says, do this, do you say, okay, well, I can probably do this much and that's all right. But is that going to get Christ's logo put on what you just accomplished? Colossians 3, 23 to 24. A lot of you have heard this verse before. I really like verse 24 because I feel like it gets overlooked a lot. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I think it's a big thing as we go through that when our boss asks us to do something that we don't necessarily like or feel is necessary or whatever, are we doing it to the best of our ability as if Christ assigned it to us? If Christ came to you this morning and said, go do this, I guarantee right away everybody in here would run out and do the the very best job they could, right? But what happens when somebody that you think, oh, this isn't necessary, I could do their job better than they can, or, you know, whatever, is that the kind of work that we're putting into it? Also, our attitude at work, it kind of goes along with that. Our attitude at work, do we sit there and be like, oh, this is so stupid. This, there is no reason we're doing this. Well, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is the attitude that we're putting towards our job, the attitude that we're putting towards our work, is that going all to the glory of God? Going along with that, Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in work or deed, whether in work or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, as you go through your job and you go and you do your works or whatever, and you start accomplishing something great, where does that glory go to? Do you sit there and it's like, oh, I'll give God the credit when I'm going through tough times. Like, yeah, you know, I'm struggling, but God's going to get me through it. What happens when he does get you through it? What happens when you do get that promotion? When you do, you know, your boss says, wow, you did a great job. Do you say, yeah, I know, it's because I'm awesome. Is that, you know, is that the attitude we have? A lot of times the answer is yes. It shouldn't be yes, but a lot of times it is. I'm as guilty as anybody. You know, my principal comes up, you know, when I walk by, you, you seem to be doing a great job with your class. They're all sitting doing their work at alternative school. That's not very often, so I like that when it happens. Do I say, yeah, it's because my classroom management's awesome. <laughs> if you want me to teach classes on this, I can. Is that the attitude that I have? I hope not, too. <laughs> You know, or is it, you know what, I think Christ's really working through me to affect these kids, and I think sometimes they're listening to what I have to say. Working with Raul in the, in the Dominican, 
as I was saying before, that, you know, Raul has his head on real straight. He knows he is one of the most godly people I've ever met. And you could say stuff like, wow, the weather's really nice today, isn't it, Raul? And Raul's response every time is glory to God. No matter what happens, that's good, bad, whatever, glory to God. You know, oh, Raul, you do a really good job with these kids. Yeah, glory to God. It's like his auto response. Is that our auto response? When we get praised for something that we do well, are we giving all the glory to God? Um, so I also thought of a few reasons that we use to not fulfill our work duties at our job. Right? This is something I just kind of thought about on my own or things that I've heard from people before or whatever. So one excuse might be, yeah, right, but Jesus never had to work for my boss, right? Any, anybody ever said that before? Yeah, I know I'm supposed to respect him, but please, like Jesus has any idea what this guy's doing, right? Well, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And I think that's the thing that sets our religion apart from everybody else, is Christ doesn't rule from above and look down on those that he created. He's right there next to us, with us, saying, yeah, I get it. I know. Think about it. Christ has to deal with us every day. I wouldn't want to deal with me every day. Think about how many times, you know, we all have the sins that we struggle with. How many times do you fall back into that? And again, you're asking for forgiveness. If you go to your job and mess up the same thing every single day, eventually your boss is going to say, no more, I'm done with you, get out. What if Christ had that same response to us? What if we, every t- you know, we sin, what, what's it, three, four times we mess up? about you? I've done the same thing four or five times in my life, way more than that. And somehow Christ hasn't fired me yet. So he, you know, he understands, but it doesn't give us the way out of that. Next one, but that's how, but that's how everyone else is at work. That's how everyone else does it. Maybe you're supposed to be there till five o'clock every night, but oh, everybody's cutting out at 415. I'll just leave. The boss doesn't know. He doesn't care, whatever. Colossians 4, 5 to 6 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the, most of, make the most of every opportunity. I like that part the best. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think that last part's key also, that you may know how to answer everyone. As we continue on forward in, in our country today, it becomes more and more about me and what I can get out of it, and less about how can I help others, how can I do the work of God, how can I influence other people, how can I stand out in a world that is pretty dark at this point? How can I shine and show other people Christ? And I think that the darker our world gets and the more sinful our, our especially our country gets, the easier it is to shine in those instances. The more noticeable it is when you're different from everybody else. 
And I think that's key with the end when it says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Because eventually somebody would be like, why do you do that all the time? You realize if you only do this much, it's fine. Right there, the door's open. Because I want the logo of Christ put on what I'm doing. If Christ had an emblem, would he put that on mine? On, what, on my work, on my job? It's unprofessional to talk about God in the workplace. I've heard that a number of times. It's unprofessional to talk about God in the workplace. First of all, there are three great words you can use. What I believe. That typically in most jobs will cover your, you know, cover your butt in whatever you're doing is what I believe. I think the only time you start getting in trouble is when you say, oh, you should believe this and you should believe this and whatever. But so that's one thing to keep in mind is if you present it as what you believe and people see a difference in you, maybe they'll say, well, how can I believe that? Another thing to look at when someone says, it's unprofessional to talk about God in the workplace. I did a little, little math, math work. You figure the average person works 40 hours a week, right? Let's say you get six weeks vacation. So you work 40 hours a week, 46 weeks out of the year. You work from the time you're 22 until you're about 70. That means if you work nonstop, that's 10 years, 30 days of your life. That means you spend 88,320 hours of your life at work. 88,000 hours you spend at your job. And there are plenty of people that don't get six weeks vacation. There are plenty of people that can't retire at 70. There are plenty of people that work more than 40 hours a week. So I'm going to say this is a minimum that you work 88,000 hours at your job. And so when you die, and all of us will die, you're going to face judgment one day. And when Christ says, well, what did you do with these 88,000 hours that I provided, that I put these people in your life, that they, don't, they probably don't go to church, they don't all go to church, they don't all hear the message, I put them in your life because... I thought your work could point them in my direction. What did you do with those 88,000 hours that I provided for you? And you said, well, it's unprofessional. That's going to be the answer you give to Christ on Judgment Day. Well, I couldn't. It's unprofessional. Let's see how that works for you. I bet you're not going to like the result of, of what Christ has to say about that. Lastly, why would I work harder? What's in it for me? What's the point? I'm going to get, my, I'm going to get paid whether I do it to my best ability, or if I go about halfway, it all gets done. Who cares? What's in it for me? Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown, uh, have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Obviously, that's the wrong attitude to have. A lot of us want to say, like, oh, well, I don't think like that. But if you look deep down, a lot of us do. A lot of us do, kind of, well, what's the point? Um, and if you do have that wrong attitude, the Bible also talks about that also. James 4, 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Pretty clear right, right there. I, don't, I, I love verses like this because it's not like, well, I think this means, no, there it is. If you know what you're supposed to do and don't do it, Pretty flat out. It's sin. That's it. Ephesians 5, 5 to 6. 
For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Another one that doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. In the 2nd century B.C., around the 1st century A.D., in China, they discovered that if you use a lodestone and you hang it and you can suspend it, it will always point in the same direction. That's how we came up with a compass. It's a naturally magnetic stone that is always, you know, always pulled to, to point in the same direction. Um, they discovered that if you suspend it freely, right, it would always point towards the polar whatever that is. I don't know how they work. But I know it always points in the same direction, right? You want to talk to a science teacher, go ahead. I teach math. So it's a compass, right? That's how they discovered what a compass is because the stone that they could use always pointed in the same direction. What does our compass point to? Does our compass turn around and point straight back to me? Or does whatever I do, when I do the work that I have, when I do my job, is my compass always pointing to Christ? When people look at me, am I Christ's compass? Or am I pointing in the wrong direction? Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So again, he's not even sitting there saying, when you preach to people at your job, it's saying they may see your good deeds. When you set yourself apart at your job or just in your general life, when you set yourself apart, when you show those good deeds, especially now, people are going to notice. It's not that hard to set yourself apart anymore. You just have to be willing to do it. When they see your good deeds and they can praise your Father in heaven. No matter what situation, what our circumstances are, what our surroundings are, it, it shouldn't matter. What direction are you pointing in? And would Christ want to put his logo on whatever you're doing at that point? Would Christ look at your life no matter what it is? It, this doesn't even apply always to your job. Anytime in your life, would Christ want to put his seal of approval? Would Christ give you a t-shirt that says you know, Christ follower or whatever, would he give you a t-shirt at that moment and say, wear this. I want people to know that you're working for me. Or would he be embarrassed and say, you know what, why don't you give me that shirt back? Because your compass is pointing in the wrong direction. I want to take about 20 seconds and just kind of, for each person, just kind of bow your heads. Think about in your own life. Even if you do a pretty good job with your work, there's probably somewhere you can improve it. None of us are perfect. None of us are whatever. Take about 20 seconds, just kind of sit there and pray and think about what, what your work should be or maybe how it should change or what, you know, do you deserve the logo of Christ? Take about 20 seconds and then I'll end with a couple verses. Philippians 1.27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 2, 3 to 8 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. But in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus did, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for today, and I, I thank you for, for your word and what we can learn from it, Lord. And, and I just thank you for giving me the opportunity to, for you to speak through me this morning. And, and um, I just pray that as we go forward and as we go out through our week, Lord, that we would be more mindful of, of your logo, Lord, and, and what that's worth. And I just pray that no matter what we're doing, that in the back of our mind, we would say, would this get Christ's seal of approval? Is this pointing towards Christ? Is my compass pointing in the right direction? And if no, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to change whatever it is in our lives that we're, that we're pointing the wrong direction in. Lord, we just thank you again for your grace and your mercy because we need it every day. And all these things we pray in your name. Amen.